we'll get going. Father God, it is good to be in this place, and it is good to be with your people. I pray, Father, that your spirit would be in this place. I ask, O oh Lord, that you would speak in such a way that it penetrates uh, deep into who we are, so that there, Father, there might be transformation, so that we might become the people you would have us to be. May we be fully reminded of your intense love for each and every one of us today. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Amen. Um, so there are times um, that I give some counsel to young adults, and um, particularly young adults who may be in relationships. And these may be relationships that are kind of at that point where they have to decide, well, we're going to stay in this and see it through. Um, you know, kind of at that, that pivotal moment where it's been going along a while and you're kind of, do we fish or cut bait type of situation with the relationship, right? And my counsel to them very often, if they are in a, some, a somewhat serious relationship, and it could be progressing towards something, my counsel to them is to sort of um, make sure you you look for certain uh, seasons in the relationship and make sure you move through certain seasons. And really what I mean by that is that there are certain situations that the relationship probably needs to progress through in order for you to know whether or not it is really something you should invest in and something you should seek to pursue for your future. So what do I mean by that? So there are just life situations where you want to see the person you're interested in um, how they react and how they respond and how they do in those certain situations. For example, how do they do at separation? How do they do at separation? Sometimes, especially when you're young, you're, you may be separated because one of you is pursuing an academic uh, track somewhere and you go off to a different school. Um, or you just may be separated um, because one of you lives in a town that's down here and the other one lives in, and yet you're still trying to make this relationship work. But how does the one that you're interested in deal with separation. Does that separation make the heart grow fonder or do they just sort of forget about you, right? What about grief? How do they handle grief? What about the season of grief? If they've lost something, if they didn't get the internship that they were looking for, if they didn't get the job perhaps that they were after, if, they, if they've lost someone near and dear to them, what's their how do they deal with the situation of grief? What about joy, sadness? What about success? Is the person you're interested in, how do they handle success? Do they become a different person when they're successful? They kind of become something else. Is there, is there a bit of pride that wells up in them? How, do, how does the person that you're interested in, the relationship that you have with them, how does it affected by different situations and circumstances. How about darkness? How do they deal with darkness? How do they deal with, with sometimes the, a sense of, of just darkness and an absence of light in their lives? How do they deal with different situations? And typically, if you walk through seasons in a relationship with someone and you see them in these different situations, you'll have a pretty good idea of what they're like, and you'll find out a whole lot about them, which will help you determine whether or not you want to continue to invest in that relationship. That's just the way it is. So here's the thing. I was thinking about this this week. It really is the same way 
when we think about our relationship with God, when it comes to understanding more about God, understanding more about our relationship with God, we learn a whole lot more as we walk through different situations with this God whom we love and with whom we want to have a relationship with. Just ask Job. Remember Job? Uh, the guy had everything. He had wealth, he had family, he had lands, he had everything. He was, he was on top of the world until God allowed Satan to test him. And then everything was stripped away from him, including his health. He went through literally hell on earth, right? And yet, it was Job. It was Job who would say this in Job chapter 42, verses 5 through 6. Listen to this. Through any situation, you get to learn. My ears had heard of you, Job says, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Things actually ended up turning out even better for Job. And yet, as he looked at his own response to God's testing of his life, he felt like after he'd come through it and he'd really seen who God is, he needed to repent. He realized as unfair as you and I look at that story, as we, as we step back and we kind of on the outside look at it, man, that sure isn't good for Job. Man, God's really hard on Job. Job looked at it and said, no, now I really see who you are, God. And I must repent because I, I must have doubted you, God. I didn't really see who you were. So, as I said before, we're going to look at the Song of Solomon. We're going to look at the Song of Songs. And I would imagine that whatever season or situation you find yourself in, we will discover something about God. Because truth of the matter is, we're not always sure what to do with the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. We're not exactly sure what's going on here. In fact, I like to put it this way. Some of you will remember... The more senior people here in the audience today, um, you will remember when Elvis hit the scene, right? Elvis, just say, just say yes, just say yes, yes, no. <laughs> I got something out of him, thank you Jesus. So, um, so you remember when Elvis came on the scene, I wasn't quite born, but I was, I was, um, I was about seven years old, I remember, when he passed away. But I remember hearing stories, and I've read back about when Elvis hit the scene, right? And so um, it was pretty scandalous because Elvis had these moves that nobody had ever seen before. He was an incredible singer and performer and, 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 and musician, but people had never seen him move. And so he had the, he had the pelvis thing going on. He had the hips. And, and I, I heard that they, when, they, when he was on television, they never let the camera go below like, like this part, right? Because they, they didn't want to see, they didn't want people to see the provocative nature of his moves, right? All right. Come on, people. Come on. Right? So, so here's, here's the thing. When you get to the Song of Solomon, this is just, this is kind of where Christians start to say, all right, we can't go below the waist on this one, baby. We cannot go below the waist on this one. And yet, and yet, if you, if you read some of the Song of Solomon, you cannot ignore the erotic, provocative, and sensual nature of what's going on in the book. It's just there. Come to Pastor Jeff's sermon. He spends a whole lot more time on that than I am. 
He's a senior pastor. He gets a pass on that, all right? <laughs> so so just, just to say this, there is still something that we can learn, whatever season we may find ourselves in, in our relationship with this God whom we love. And there's three things I want you to hear. And this is what I, I, what I, what I pulled out of the Song of Solomon as I spent time with it um, this week. The first idea is this, and we'll look at the passage here and we'll see the banner passage as well. But the first idea is this, is that God has a fixation on beauty. God has a fixation on beauty. Listen to this, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. 6, 4 through 7. You are as beautiful as Terza, he says. You're as beautiful as Terza, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. There's our banner passage. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is missing. Not one of her teeth is missing. That's a good thing. <laughs> no offense to those of you who are missing teeth. All right. So your, your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Does that do it for you, ladies? <laughs> so, yeah. You, and if you, look at the, if, if you look at this chapter and, and some of the, the chapters preceding and, and after, you see this dialogue going on between the, the beloved, the, the woman who the lover is enthralled with, as well as the friends. So there's this three-way dialogue between all, this peop all these people, and yet uh, and, and it's, it's this dialogue, it's this conversation, it's this context of this relationship between this one, uh, this man and this woman. And it is, um, and it is captivating and, and, it, and she in particular, she in particular is, is the one who the focus is on. It's really, there's a focus on the, on the relationship, but she, she is captivating. She is striking. There's something about the beauty of this woman that the, the lover just can't stop talking about. But what on earth is a terza? What on earth is a Terza? Well, apparently it was a city. It was a city that was known for its beauty. It was a city that uh, was quite famous and, and, and well-known. It stood out. It was significant. It was important. Terza. Terza. And he, he talks about her being like Terza. You know, Christina and I love San Diego. We go there every time we, anytime we get an opportunity to go. In fact, we'll be going there in a few weeks. We we like San Diego a lot, but I have never dropped the line on my wife about her looking like the weather in San Diego. Just haven't done it. And I don't know that I will, right? That probably won't get me very far. So what is Solomon doing here? What is this lover doing? Then he says, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem. There he goes with another city. But that kind of makes sense because Jerusalem was a city, it was a city of God. It was, it, was the, it, it was his city. God sort of took it as his own. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. That makes sense. It was a special place, right? That was, um, 
That one makes sense. What about the next one? The line with our banners line in it. Uh, As majestic as troops with banners. As majestic as troops with banners. So she she has a presence about her. There's something rather stately and beautiful and majestic about her. Maybe she's rather queenly looking. But he, he throws in this part about these troops and brings in this militaristic sort of a sort of a imagery that's kind of interesting too maybe it speaks of strength who knows but again i don't know that i would ever use this line on christina you know honey you are pretty awesome and pretty amazing um kind of like you know rambo or something like that it's just, <laughs> just not gonna happen right so we're really at a loss to a certain extent to fully grasp, but what we can grasp is that God is fixated on the beauty, or that the, the, the lover in this imagery is fixated on the beauty of his beloved. And so what I appreciate about this is indeed this appreciation, this fixation on beauty. And perhaps we don't pause long enough to take a look at beautiful things. I did a wedding yesterday um, in a town called Inverness. I'd never heard of it before, never been there before, so that was my time. So, but we're set, the setting is outdoors. And yesterday was a beautiful Florida day. Amen. Y'all can say amen to that, people. Come on. And it was outdoors, set by a lake, the trees, the weather, the temperature was perfect, and it was quite beautiful. And I saw this scene that stands out in my mind when we were at the wedding there. We're all uh, getting ready and everything's getting into place. And um, you know how busy photographers are in particular when they um, are getting ready for a wedding and they're, they're focused on taking the pictures and so forth. But there's one of the family members who was quite elderly, a woman. And the way it was set up, you had to um, walk down to this area next to the lake to be seated um, for the wedding uh, to, to come along. And I saw the photographer stop and take the time to walk a very elderly woman all the way. It was a long ways too, all the way down. He, she's very unstable, quite aged. And he had her, had, had her arm through his, and he just very slowly talking to her, camera hanging off his shoulder, talking to her all the way down. And I thought to myself, how beautiful, how beautiful. Now, yes, the, the bride was quite gorgeous and the groom, all handsome. The entire setting was beautiful. But there was something beautiful in that, in that moment when someone strong and powerful took the time to help one whose strength has waned. And that was quite beautiful. Do we pause long enough? To appreciate beauty. Because God apparently was fixated on beauty. The culture today very often exploits beauty. The culture today will take your beauty and use it to its own self-gratification and its own end. But God says, no, that's not what this whole beauty thing is about. In fact, he's far more interested in your beauty for his glory, not for anything else. Beauty. Don't miss the beauty in these passages. Don't miss the beauty in the ones that you love. 
Stop long enough, not, to, not just to consume and take uh, that which is beautiful or to take a selfie in front of it, but just stop long enough to embrace it and to soak it in and to take in the beauty. So often we are so hung up on everything else and we miss the beauty of some moments. Psalms 27.4, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Hang with something beautiful or create some beautiful moments. Reclaim beauty for God's kingdom. Don't let the culture continue to exploit the beauty around us. One last quick note on that. So Christina and I were in Washington, D.C. Um, earlier this week, and we, um, um, I came back a little early, but she had Thursday to hang around, and actually the, the thing that we were attending was over, and she had some time to go walk around the city a bit and uh, see the sights. And she had two friends along with her, uh, just people she had met there at the conference and so forth. And she was telling me about her experience of walking around DC. And there's so many incredible things to see. And they said, let's go to the Smithsonian. And so they go to the Smithsonian and there's this African art display and exhibit. And Christina's like, let's, let's go see the art. That's going to be pretty amazing. And these ladies decided that they needed to go to the gift shop. <laughs> really? You're going to go to the Smithsonian and spend your time, your limited amount of time in the gift shop. That's what I'm talking about, people. Some of you are still hanging out in the gift shop. And there's a lot of beauty to be seen. Don't waste your time in the gift shop. God was fixated on beauty. He still looks at you and he, he sees that which is beautiful. He has not lost his attraction for you. He has not lost, the, even though you are sinful and you would see a, a lot of ugliness in your own life, God has not, God has not checked out, but he sees beauty in you. Here's the second thing that I see, that God has this rather fatal attraction to us. A rather fatal attraction. It tells me something about the lengths that this God would go to to, to, to rescue and to save you and me. That, that he would give his life. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 it goes like this. And being found in appearance as a man. That which is divine condescends and comes to the earth. Takes on the appearance of a man. And being found in, uh, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because he had in mind that he needed to be with you. He wanted to be reconciled. The gap had been created because of sin, all kinds of things. And, and, and his, the love of his life, the, the objective of his divine affection was separated. And he said, no, that cannot be. I must, I must be with him, whatever the, whatever the cost, whatever the price, I must have them. And it would ultimately cost him everything. Wow. What love, what love, the sacrifice of a God to be with the people he 
so desires. God's fatal attraction. And yes, you could probably read into the Song of Solomon that there's a bit of obsession going on there. Yes, God is, yeah, pretty crazy about you. To the extent that he would give his life. That he would come to this earth to be with you. God's fatal attraction. God is absolutely into beauty. God is absolutely willing to sacrifice his entire life for you. And then finally, there's this third idea that emerged for me as I was reading here. And it'll help us to understand a little bit more about our relationship to this God. From, of all places, the Song of Solomon. That there's a fierceness to God's love. That there's a fierceness to God's love. Check out Song of Songs, chapter 6, and verse 3. Listen to this. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He, browse, he browses among the lilies. It's really that first part. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. To say that God is sort of possessive is an understatement. He's really into you. The Bible even hints at the notion that God is a jealous God. That he, that he desires a, a relationship with you that is exclusive. That he should be the only God. Read those first couple of commandments, right? Let there be no other gods before me. Don't you bow down and worship any other gods. I desire your affection. I want us to be a thing and only us a thing. No other gods. But what's also true about our God, and this, is, this may be slightly uncomfortable for us in, in this fierceness of God, is that God protects his own. That God, God will uh, protect his relationship with his own. And should there be those who want to come and, and undo our relationship or undermine that relationship, or should there be Dare I say it, be those who would come along and harm his beloved. You better watch out. Right? See, I'm not a violent man. I really am not. But if you mess with my children, if you, if you decide that yeah, my, my love for them will cause me to do things that don't come naturally for me. Say, ask any mama up in here, all right? Mess with mama's children. You'll, you'll get some wrath, won't you, real quick, all right? God's love is quite fierce. And whereas it may seem like the enemies of God may very well rule the day, God says, uh-uh, that it won't be so forever. Psalms chapter 37, verses 8 through 11. Refrain from, he's speaking of us, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. That's for us, the beloved. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. God has a favoritism towards the righteous. And I'm not afraid to say it. 
I know we don't like to think of God as showing favors, but he in fact does have his favorites, and it's his people. Those who call upon him, those who claim him as their own, those who are the righteous ones, those who are the ones whose lives are being transformed or have been transformed by their relationship with that God. He is on your side, and he is with you. And he says, ultimately, those who mess with my beloved will meet their end. We'll meet their end. God has a fierce love for his people that ultimately brings about the end of sin and evil and violence against those he loves. Because there are in fact those who would tear down, destroy, manipulate, harm those who are the most vulnerable, those who are the weakest. But God says, no, that will someday come to an end. It will all be over. The fierceness of God's love. I am grateful for how fierce God is. The intensity of of his love for you and me, and his ultimate, uh, his power to ultimately set things right. Because in this life, in this day and age, you and I may not see um, justice prevail, but there will come a day when God's people experience the fullness of God's justice. So what do we do? What do we do in response to these attributes of God? The God who is obsessed with beauty. The God who experienced a fatal attraction. The God who, whose love is fierce. What do we do in response to that God? How does this change our relationship? Well, here's the response that I believe we should have. Take God as your own. He has shown himself to be a faithful God. He proves himself in every situation. Think about it in your life. Any circumstance you find yourself in, ultimately this God, this God of the Bible, this one who sees you as beautiful, he always comes through for you. Whatever situation you find yourself in. But he's waiting. He's waiting to see if you'll come across the line and take him as your own. Will you decide to be with him and only him? Do do you see how good he is? Do you see his fierce love? Do you see how when you're sleeping, he's like, you know, he's like you were when you, as, when you first became a parent, us first time parents, all we did was sit there and stare at the child. Right? You just, you just kind of looked at the child. If, if, if at any moment it appeared that the child stopped breathing, everybody freaked out. They're okay? They're okay? Right? Right? You obsess over your children. And as unattractive as children are when they first arrive, right? Everybody goes, that baby's so beautiful. No, right? <laughs> that child is ugly, Right? But the truth of the matter is, it's the beauty, it's the beauty of the situation, and it's the, it's the beauty of the love that we share for that child. 
What should be our response to these attributes of God? Determined to take God as your own. Come back to him. Stay with him. Go deeper in relationship with him. Because he is a God who appreciates beauty. He is a God who sacrificed everything for you to be with you. And he's a God with a fierce love who will set everything straight in the end. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for, thank you for the words that come to us from Solomon that remind us, God, of your love for each and every one of us. Thank you, Father, for the imagery that we can all relate to, relationships, God, and in particular, Lord, just, um, just the desire to know and to be known and to be with. And we see now, Father, that that is what you desire for each and every one of us. So I pray that we would make you our own as you have made us your own. May we turn and lean into you lay our heads upon your chest, wrap our arms around you, and determine to live a life solely for you and with you. Amen. Amen.